Well, we come to the last two questions and answers of our catechism this evening. Question and answer 128 and 129. Before we look at those, um, which really lead us to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer and our confidence in praying the Lord's Prayer, before we look at that, I'd like to read with you Psalm 46, which is another of those psalms that expresses such confidence in the Lord. You know, we think of our world today and the headlines that we see. There's such turmoil. There's so much strife. There's war in Ukraine. There's war in Israel and Palestine. There's war uh, being threatened by Russia, by North Korea, by so many other uh, powers, certainly throughout the Middle East in parts of Africa. And then there's all the conflict in our own land that often threatens to and even does break into violence. If we're trusting only in us or in our leaders, there is no rest. But if we're looking to the Lord, who sits on a throne above it all, who ordains all that comes to pass, who even ordains to allow evil and to use it in a manner that ultimately will bless His people, then we can have peace. The psalmist declares, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Now, before we look at our catechism lesson, uh, we need to address a small but significant matter with regard to the Lord's Prayer. This evening, um, we're going to address the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And those who are attentive may have noticed that in our pew Bibles, in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches this prayer... Our pew Bibles omit this concluding phrase in the Lord's Prayer, including it in the margin with the preface, Some manuscripts add, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our consistory has discussed that at some length. And while there's more that we could say, and perhaps at some point will, Suffice it to say for right now that our confidence is that this concluding phrase, which is included in the vast majority of the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, 
was in fact original and was spoken by our Lord. That means, to be clear, we believe that Jesus did speak this concluding phrase in the prayer. And we're convinced, therefore, that what we uh, teach about it is something that we can be confident of. So we can, we can confess this and we can pray this with certainty, with sureness. Psalm, or, uh, question 128 asks, How do you conclude this prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This means we have made all these petitions of you, Because as our all-powerful King, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name, and not we ourselves, should receive all the praise forever. What does that little word, Amen, express? Amen means, this shall truly and surely be. It is much more certain that God has heard my prayer than than that I feel in my heart that I desire such things from Him. Amen. Beloved of God the Father, through Christ His Son, as He taught His followers what it means to be a disciple, Jesus was very clear that prayer needs to stand at the center of our lives. We need to both within our heart and openly, confess that our confidence rests not in ourselves, not in our wisdom, not in our strength, but in God, whose blessing we absolutely need. And so for two months now, we've considered the model prayer that He set before us in His Sermon on the Mount. We looked first at our need to pray, being reminded that prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us and seeing that God gives His grace and His Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and thank Him for these gifts. Then we learned from Jesus that we should regard God as we pray as our Heavenly Father, not as some distant deity, but as the one who loves us and who cares about us. And then we spent a few weeks talking about the Godward aspects of our prayer the hallowing of God's name, the coming of His kingdom, the fulfillment of His will. Finally, we looked at the manward aspects of our prayer, our need for physical provision, our need for forgiveness, our craving for spiritual strength. But in all of this, one significant aspect of prayer has gone unconsidered, and that is attitude. Attitude's important, isn't it? Anyone with a teenager knows that. The very same words can have drastically different meanings depending on the attitude with which it's spoken. To not pick on the teenagers a minute. Imagine if you were a uh, 20-something young man. You found yourself, as 20-somethings often do, without much in the bank, kind of living from paycheck to paycheck, and all of a sudden there's a big need. And so you need to ask for help for a temporary loan. There's a lot of people you might ask for help in that situation. You might ask a friend. You might ask a business associate. You might ask dad. And any of those people, you might ask with almost the exact same words, explaining the situation, explaining the need, presenting your plea. But I bet that 
I bet those words are going to sound very different depending on whom you're asking. If you're asking a friend, your words are going to come out with a significant measure of embarrassment. Maybe even resignation if you think that he's probably going to turn you down. If you're asking a business associate, especially if it's one you think might hold it against you or use it against you, there might be an edge to your request, thinking that this is probably going to hurt a lot more than any interest that he charges. But what about when you're asking dad? You're still probably going to feel a little sad, but you're going to ask with a boldness and a confidence that is not going to be expressed with the others. Because you know that no matter what, Dad loves you. No matter what, Dad's going to be there for you. Well, that's something of what Jesus teaches us in this conclusion to our prayer. He wants us to come before God seeking what we need with regard to our relationship to Him, seeking what we need with regard to ourselves and our relationship to other men. But He wants us to do so recognizing who it is that we're speaking to, how able He is, and how much He loves us. He wants us to come with the right attitude and thereby to come with confidence. And so really that's our theme this evening. Christ teaches us to conclude our prayer with a confession of confidence. And that confidence begins with extolling our Father's omnipotent provision. We pray, for thine is the kingdom. The confession that God is the king. And he's not only our king, he is the king. We see this really throughout the Psalms, don't we? Psalm 93 declares, the Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Psalm 115 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Our God is the King of everyone and of every place because He made everything. All that is, He designed it and He brought it forth. All that occurs, He planned it and ordained it to happen that way. And if He didn't ordain it, then it doesn't happen. And as the king, that means that everything depends on him. Without our God's will, think on this, without our God's will, nothing, good, bad, or indifferent, can occur. All who live require his continual sustaining care, and nothing escapes his power. As we read in Psalm 46, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The warfare that shakes kingdoms and brings people down to their core is as nothing in comparison with the might of our God. He is entirely sovereign, the possessor of all power. And the thing is, this king, he's taken notice of us. Why us? Sometimes we want to ask that, don't we? Why has he taken notice of me, of all people? But we might as well ask, why did... Alto get an inch of snow while Muskegon got eight. Fact is, God simply chose to claim some people as his own. 
All men belong to him. He disposes of them according to his perfect pleasure. He uses each one to fulfill his will. And he has chosen to take notice of us. And not just to take notice of us, but to send his son to redeem us and to make us be adopted as his own. What an amazing blessing that is. James 1 verse 18 reminds us. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Through the word of his Son, Jesus, God brought us forth. He made us to be his children. He caused us to be the start of a new humanity. God, our creator, God, our sovereign king, has become God, our father, through Jesus. And that new reality gives us a unique perspective on the king's power. Psalm 37 says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of, of trouble. That means that no matter what the trouble is, no matter how helpless it seems, we can trust that God will uphold us and strengthen us and provide for us in the midst of it. That psalm that we sang just before we started looking at Scripture, Psalm 91, that's a warrior's psalm. Warrior, a warrior is always surrounded by threats to his life. And it always has worldwide significance, doesn't it? It always has uh, significance for the nation that he serves or the people that he protects. But listen to Psalm 91. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He doesn't trust in his... He doesn't trust in his fellow soldiers. He trusts in God. He's the one who will cause him to stand firm. He says, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Doesn't matter. Who the enemy is, how powerful, how subversive, how sneaky, how overwhelming. It doesn't matter. God is greater. And because we belong to Him, because we're His children, we know that not a single weapon that has ever been formed can touch us apart from His will. And if He ordains to allow it to touch us, then it is for our good and for the good of the kingdom. Period. End of sentence. Full stop. Paul testified to that. Many times, but memorably in 2 Corinthians 1. 2 Corinthians 1, he testifies to having faced trouble, he and his fellow workers. That trouble, he says, seemed absolutely inescapable. It looked to Paul like it was going to result in his death and the end of his ministry. But that trouble served to lead Paul, he says, to make us rely more, or not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. In other words, Paul faced this trouble. He doesn't describe it. He just says it was a trouble he was sure would take his life. And God brought him to a point where he was resigned. There's no escape from this. And so when God rescued him, Paul became convinced. Doesn't matter what what we face, we know God holds us in His hand. We know nothing is greater than He is. God is faithful and He will always provide for His people. But that doesn't mean that we only look to Him in times of trial, when our lives are threatened. Certainly, when troubles come, 
Certainly at that time, we should remember Psalm 37, 40. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. But also, when things are going well, when we have peace, when our plans succeed and our businesses thrive and our families are growing, also then we need to remember this is from God. James 1 verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All the good we receive, He is the one who sends it. He sends the children who make us smile. He sends the beautiful weather that causes us to rejoice. He also sends the rain that causes the crops to grow and the snow that allows some of our folks to make lots of money. He's the one who sends relief from our illnesses and also the illnesses that enable us to recognize how perfectly He provides. Everything we have, everything we experience, He gives through His will, through His strength. And because of Him, we are lacking in nothing. That's a big part of what we confess when we pray, Thine is the kingdom and the power. When we pray that, we are confessing with Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He is our refuge, providing shelter in the midst of life's countless storms. He is our strength, empowering us to endure and overcome absolutely anything that presents itself, both in trouble and in triumph. He is the one in whom we rest. And so we can sing with confidence. Therefore we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, no matter what the world throws at us, storms that seem likely to undo us, economic collapse that seems likely to end us in poverty, illnesses or cancer or disease that seem like the doctors have no idea what to do with it, Disappointment and betrayal from friends and confidants doesn't matter. God is sovereign over all of it. No tree falls in the woods without Him sovereignly declaring when and where. He ordains the cloud and the winds, each storm obeying Him. Nothing fails to obey His purposes. And He loves us. So we can be confident He will use that sovereign power and that goodness for us, to bless us. Folks, there is so much confidence in praying, Thine is the kingdom and the power. Our culture with its evolutionary worldview says that everything that happens is random and meaningless. Take what you can get, when you can get it, enjoy the moment, eat and drink now because tomorrow we die and then we enter the blackness. There's no purpose, there's no goal to it all. There's no bigger meaning. How empty that is. Man, if you live with that worldview, it's no wonder if you find yourself filled with bitterness. It's no wonder if you take every opportunity to bury yourself in inebriation. There's no plan. There's no purpose. It's all a waste. How empty. And how terrifying. 
I mean, you're really on your own. But thankfully, we know better. Yes, much of what we see in life can bring disappointment and trial and pain. But everything that comes to pass comes to pass by His sovereign plan. And so when we endure difficulties and trials, we can know He's using it for our good. We might not know at the time what that is. We might not know that for a long time. But He is using it, perhaps to prepare us to minister to others, perhaps to bring us to an end of our pride or our selfish strength, perhaps to show us that He is in fact trustworthy, perhaps to allow someone else to minister to us. But we can be confident God knows what He's doing and He will not let us go. How many times we see that in the Bible? A young man fights with his brother. His brother threatens his life. His father exiles him to go and work with his uncle. For years, he works for his distant uncle. Seems like the waste of such a promising life in the moment, but it's not. Because out of that time spent in exile and the wives and the children that that young man gains, the nation of Israel comes forth. A promising young general offends his king who sinks into sin and depravity. He's exiled even among the nations and in the wilderness. But God uses that time of exile and that time of trial to mold and shape the man who would become the king after his own heart, King David. Time and again in the Bible we see how God uses those difficult trials and experiences to demonstrate not just his sovereignty, but his perfect plan. We don't see it in the midst of it, but we can be confident. Thine is the power, the kingdom and the power. He will turn all things for the good of his people. And because this is the source of our confidence, we can pray also, thine is the glory forever. In this second aspect of the attitude Jesus commands of our prayer, we see how we're to pray expressing the Father's worthy praise. You see, if we truly get to know how omnipotent our Father is, it doesn't leave us passive, mere spectators to what He's doing. God has given us sound minds. He's given us an understanding will. We think, we learn, we grow, we decide. We determine what to do and what to reject. Now, if God was less than absolutely omnipotent, that wouldn't work. Every one of us would be a wild card, right? He would lay out his plans and hope that we didn't mess it up. Sometimes that happens in our families, right? We lay out our plans, we think everything is, is going to go in a particular way, and then somebody has plans that are at variance to that, or somebody gets sick, or somebody makes, makes a mistake, and it all crumbles. God's plans never crumble. He knows every one of us so perfectly that we don't fall into sin, we don't fall ill, we don't make a mistake without Him already knowing that it was going to happen and weaving that into His plan. So sovereign is our God that He is able to work even within our freedom. He knows every one of us that well. He understands every one of us that perfectly. And so he knits together all of the actions, the decisions, the plans and purposes of every one of his people and those who are rebellious against him, weaving it all together in a way that will build his kingdom and bless his people in the end. 
And what that means, brothers and sisters, to our prayer is that we never deserve the glory. We accomplish big things. No question about that. God, as a faithful father will, entrusts to his children amazing opportunities and gifts and abilities. And he expects us to use those in ways that will be good. But ultimately, when the outcome is good, the glory is not ours. Because why? All of the opportunity that we had, he gave. All of the gifts, all of the abilities, he provided. And the success to our efforts, that was from him too. And so when it works out so beautifully well, he's the one who deserves all the praise. At best, each of us is a faithful steward, a servant who serves the one who is greater. In serving him, we're doing what we were created to do. And when we do, we get to give him praise. Sings the psalmist in Psalm 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. See, the psalmist understands our best efforts are worth nothing unless God blesses them, unless God makes them effective. And so he sings, the Lord has remembered us, he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. That's as true for us today as it was for Israel in ancient days. God has graciously loved us, cared for us, taken thought for us, and blessed our plans and purposes. And therefore, we must confess with the psalmist, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. That should always be the result of our prayer. That needs to be the result we seek from the start. When we pray to God for help in our plans, when we pray to Him for relief from our misery, when we pray for blessing on our efforts to bring peace or to build up or to strengthen or to... Whatever we pray, our ultimate goal ought to be that God would receive the glory for it. The greatest thing we can do in our lives, I said this morning that the greatest use of our time is what we do here, right? Worshiping God. Gathering together with the saints and worshiping God. And so likewise in all of life, the greatest outcome we can bring is not making lots of money, making a big name for ourselves, leaving a great inheritance to our children, those aren't the great things. Those aren't the climax. The ultimate for which we can hope is what we read in Psalm 46. That we can proclaim with all our lives, with all that we do, come behold the works of the Lord. How He has brought desolations on the earth. How He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Look at what God has done. Look at how He has provided. Look at how He has built up. Look at how He has answered prayer and used His weak servant despite my weakness and failures. God says to us, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And our response must be, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
And because God's provision for us is perfect, we can pray that prayer with confidence. We can pray to Him who is absolutely sovereign, knowing that He's able to help. We can pray with the desire that He will be glorified in the end. And we can pray with confidence that He will hear our prayer and that He will answer. And so that's the last thing Jesus teaches us. As we express His praise and extol His provision, we should expect that the result will be a manifestation of His perfect love. And that's the last thing we see. Because that's what we confess when we say amen. Kids, you know what amen means? For the longest time, I, I thought that was just the way we said, I'm done praying now. Right? When I was a kid, I always thought that was just kind of the period at the end of the sentence. Amen. That means I'm done. If anybody else wants to, they can pray now. But that's not what it means. It's actually a Hebrew word. An adverb that means truly or surely. And so as our catechism says, it means this shall, surely, tr- shall truly and surely be. When we end our prayer this way, we're confessing confidence in God. And that's a huge thing. When you pray to, or when you pray, when you speak to a person, you can never be entirely sure they will hear you, can you? I just mentioned to my catechism students this morning, sometimes people get upset by something I've said on the pulpit. And I've had to learn that the first response I give them needs to be, What did I say? Because what they heard me say might be very different from what I actually meant to say or to convey, right? We can't always be sure that they will hear what we desire them to hear. Or they might be nodding along and smiling, but their mind's somewhere else. They're not actually hearing what you're saying, right? And even when they do hear us, their response is never entirely reliable. Sometimes... Mom or dad says, yeah, I'll take care of that, but then they forget, right, because their schedule is busy. Or your your co-worker says, yeah, I got that, I'll cover you. But then he doesn't put it on his calendar and he doesn't cover you, right? With people, there's always a shadow of a doubt. Will they hear us? Will they do it? But never with God. Remember what Psalm 46 says at the end, the Lord of hosts is with us. It doesn't matter if you're alone in the car and praying in silence. God is there and God hears. Even when no other person is able to discern the prayer that you're praying, our God is there and He hears. That holds true no matter where we are or what we're doing. Psalm 139, David confesses that he could go to the uttermost parts of the creation itself and still God would be there and still God would hear and understand. There is nowhere that we can go to escape from our God and He's promised to do for us what is good. Time and again in the Bible, we're assured that God desires what is good for us. Psalm, uh, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We don't need to fear. 
Because we know Him. We know what He's like. We know what He will do. He even promises us at the end of Psalm 91, because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. He's talking about the saints. He's talking about everyone who trusts Him in Christ. Because He holds fast to me in love, I will deliver Him. I will protect Him because He knows my name. When He calls to me, I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will rescue Him and honor Him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's God's promise for every single person who loves and trusts him. It's a promise that drips with assurance. I will deliver. I will answer. I will provide. There's no contingency. There's no shadow of doubt. This is a promise on which we can depend. And why can we depend on it? For one simple reason. Every good and Every, perf- every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Whose Father is He? The Father of Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, He is our Father who trusts in Jesus. As our Father, He loves us. Loved us enough to send His Son to endure the penalty for our sins. Loves us enough that he hears Jesus' continual prayers for our good. Loves us so much that he doesn't allow a single hair to fall from our head without his will. Now if he loves you that much, what prayer will he neglect to hear? What need will he neglect to meet? There is none. And therefore we can be confident. It is Much more certain that God has heard my prayer than that I feel in my heart that I desire such things from Him. God is more trustworthy than our own hearts. So pray to Him with utmost confidence, expecting your Father's perfect love. Nothing in this world, hear this, nothing in this world is more sure than that God will respond to our prayers with love. Not the rising of the sun each morning, not algebraic formulas, not taxes. Nothing is more certain than that God hears and answers our prayers with love. So expect His love and pray. Pray with confidence that your omnipotent Father is able to meet your needs. Pray with confidence that He loves you and will do what is good for you. Pray with the desire, the earnest desire, that He will be glorified through your prayers. And at the very end, confess, Amen. I know He hears. I know He will answer. I know He will do what is right. To Him belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, You are indeed trustworthy. Far more trustworthy than we are a greater source of comfort and assurance than any man could ever be. Thank you. Thank you for adopting us as your own. Thank you for revealing to us your faithfulness and your power. Thank you for teaching us to trust you. Father, we ask now that you would teach us more and more each day to rest in you, to desire your glory, And to never doubt your power. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. In response, let us...
stand and sing together. We're going to sing a rendering of a portion of Psalm 37, which is a a psalm that just drips with that assurance that God loves us, that God cares for us. Psalm 37 reminds us, you know, we often look at people of the world and it looks like they're prospering apart from God. It's an illusion. It's temporary. They don't have true 